0: good morning. My name is Mike Daniels. I'm one of the pastors here, and our pastor is leading a team to Israel. He is away from us, and we'll be back uh, this week. He'll be back, I believe, on Thursday. He is with uh, Bruce Hardy and some of our other folks from this church, and so we're uh, grateful that he's able to get away and lead lead and learn and and grow and uh, just simply walk where Jesus walked, and so he has the opportunity. We're grateful that you have joined us online, perhaps. And uh, this morning, as I thought through uh, the message this morning, we are going to partake in the Lord's Supper here, and uh, we are going to have an opportunity simply to look at Psalm 100. So if you have your Bibles, you can be go ahead and be turning there. Psalm is the middle book, almost, of the Bible, and uh, 100 is about two-thirds of the way through the book. We want to encourage you to go ahead and... Uh, Turn on your smartphone or your uh, Bible that uh, will be there in just a moment. As Pastor and I were talking about this this message, I had the opportunity to talk with him Sunday after church. In fact, they left Monday morning or Monday afternoon for Israel. And uh, we were in the hallway, and I had the opportunity just simply to... Tell him all these things and say, hey, listen, pastor, I want you to go away and uh, I want you to be relaxed and renewed and rejuvenated. I want you to walk where Jesus did. I want you to show these individuals that are with you what it's like and show people, uh, just allow the Bible to come alive. And that was what I meant to say to him. Well, we're standing at the door as he's going home after Sunday and I said, pastor, I said these words. I looked at him right in the face and we're just talking. I said, pastor, I need you to go away. And that was it. I had a pregnant pause after that. I meant to say all those other nice things about, "Hey, I want you to be rejuvenated." But what I actually came out of my mouth was, "I need you to go away." So he looked at me, and uh, we kind of laughed a moment. And uh, as we talk through these times, it's a it's a joy simply to be in the pulpit that he stands in each and every week. So this morning we're going to look at the word. But today on this Memorial Day, Steve has already pointed out this is a day that we celebrate. On this day and Veterans Day, we celebrate uh, those who have served in the armed forces. In fact, on Memorial Day, we celebrate and we honor those who have gone before us and who have fallen in the line of duty. And so today we praise those who are serving and have served, and then we remember those who have given their life for that. So this morning, I simply want to celebrate, honor, and applaud you. So here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask, if you have ever served in any branch of our military, in any time, I'm going to ask you to stand at this time. Would you stand all across the room? If you have served in any way with our military, thank you very much. Now, just stay standing. Now, one of the things I want to do right now is if you are a spouse of any of these individuals, you also sacrifice, and I want you to stand up alongside of them. Would you stand up right now? We want to applaud you as well. You may be seated. You know, this morning, as we have the privilege of taking of the Lord's Supper, this is a Christian's Memorial Day. This is a day that we memorialize, we think about, we remember the life, the work, and the sacrifice of what Jesus did on a cross many, many years ago. It is a celebration. It is a thanksgiving for God's perfect gift, his son Jesus. And I just have watched and I have just participated in worship this morning, and as Megan of the band led... Man, it's good to think about what Jesus has done for each of us because it is life-giving and life-changing. And this morning, as we think through that, we have a vivid remembrance of what God has done for us, that the grave could not hold Jesus, that he is alive and he is well this morning. And that is what we come to worship. Now, you may ask the question, we come to worship, but how do you worship? What is worship defined as? You see, we could look no further than American football. In fact, I could take some shots this afternoon at Georgia football. But because my pastor is coming back on Thursday and he may listen to this sermon or some of you may tell him what I said about Georgia football, I want to leave that alone for just a moment. However, we can turn our attention to the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is the most watched television event of every year, every year. This past year, there was over 103 million people that tuned in for the 2018 Super Bowl. In fact, players waited their entire lives, have done everything in preparation for that game, the last game of the year. In fact, as we watch the NBA playoffs, we have two game sevens, one tonight and one tomorrow. So there is no greater pinnacle than to see the last game on the season and knowing that you have worked to this place. In fact, Eagles fans this past year, Eagles fans had waited 85 years to have the opportunity to hold the Lombardi Trophy. You see, bands, Justin Timberlake came in, it's the greatest moment of their year, perhaps even their lifetime, to stand on that stage in front of that audience and proclaim whatever they proclaim when they sing. Then I think about the commercials $5 million for every commercial of 30 seconds in length. $5 million dollars. Now you may ask a question why is it that someone would do that? Someone would organize their life, plan their schedule, spend their money, gather friends together around a television, and an event that holds our attention and our lives for just a few hours. Why is that? It's because worship takes place at those venues. You see, but That's a different type of worship than this morning we gather. We gather here. We gather not for a mere game. We gather not for a social status or wealth. We gather for the creator of the universe because we believe he has worth to add to us, and we believe that we can ascribe worth to him. Now, this morning, we gather together. What do you think of when you think of a worship service? Perhaps you think of this gathering that we have in a worship center, perhaps led by a worship leader. Perhaps you think of a Sunday morning experience. Perhaps you think of the preaching. I'm going to worship today, which means someone is going to stand in the pulpit, open the Bible, and preach. That is worship to you. Perhaps you think of music, and you think of worship taking place before the preaching. In fact, we have a worship leader, and that's always before the preacher. Often we equate worship in our Western context with this time that we set aside to sing. And we envision it with this harp that is gripped by the weightiness of the songs that we sing and the God that we serve. And we get emotional. We uh, kind of get into it a little bit for our non-Pentecostal brothers. You may even see, you know, you may see somebody raise their hand a little bit. Kind of, I'm not sure what to do with this worship. There's a moment here that I just kind of wave at people. You may say, I'm more bold than that. I'm going to get one arm. I'm going to wave a little bit more. I'm going to sway. I'm going to start swaying a little bit. And if you're really bold, man, worship is, I got one full arm in here. I've got it going on. You may say, oh, man, I've got both arms. I'm swaying. I'm clapping. I'm singing. I'm smiling. I've got all that. Listen, if that is worship, and it may be pieces of it, if that's what it takes to worship, then I'm out of luck. Let me tell you why. Because I have no rhythm, I have no sway. I can't sing and clap at the same time to save my life. I may be clapping on rhythm but singing the Star-Spangled Banner with you guys, okay? I can't do both. So when we think of worship, what do we think of? We think of the fact that God is here and we are gathering together around the Word of God to hear from Him. True worship is this. True God-honoring worship is life-changing, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. You see, a Super Bowl is not life-changing to the majority of us. Perhaps the quarterback of this past year's team, in fact, he was a backup, his name was Nick Foles, perhaps his life changed. He'll be able to stand forever in front of audiences and say, I was the MVP of the Super Bowl. Perhaps that coach, can his life was changed for those players, perhaps, but for me and you outside of that teenage girl or that college student that throws a little ball into a Dr. Pepper can at halftime, the Super Bowl doesn't change any of our lives. But this morning, we believe that true God-honoring worship can. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Psalm 100, verses 1 through 5. So would you read along with me? The psalmist says this, says this about true worship. He says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his and we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast mercies endure forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Would you pray with me? Father, as we look at your word this morning, as we simply unpack a couple of these words and these commands that you give us, allow us to understand what true God-honoring worship is all about. And Father, as we go to this table in just a few moments and partake of the Lord's Supper and remember what you did, your body was broken and your blood was shed for us that we might have life and life more abundantly. Father, you teach us now as we go from this point forward in Jesus' name. Amen. There's four things I want to teach you this morning, and the four things are this. One is this. First thing is this. True worship is God-centered. True worship is always all about Jesus. It's all about God. One of the first things as we jump into this passage is we see that Psalms 100 is about the saturating focus of God. Now, I'm not sure why you walked in these doors or what you came in thinking about or what you perceived as we were singing together, but God desires to be the object of our worship. A French proverb said this one time, a good meal is always preceded by hunger. You think about that. Is it not the best meal that you've ever ate when you have not eaten for a long time? It doesn't matter what the meal is. Have you ever gone on a mission trip or out of the country and you said, I haven't eaten real food in a long time. You sit down and go, oh, this is the best thing that I've ever had. So when you walk in here, if you walk in with a hunger, a thirst for God, you will find God. If you come in with a heart that seeks after the very things of God, you will experience him. But if you walk in with some other mentality, some other desire and options, you perhaps can go through this entire day and miss the greatness of our God. This morning, I want to point out this is not about music. Worship is not about music. It can include music, but it's not about music. It's all about God four times in these first five verses. You see the covenant keeping name for God, Yahweh. It is the holy and personal name of God, and every verse the Lord, He is, is about Him. Look in verse one Make a joyful noise to the Lord, serve the Lord. Come into his presence. Know that the Lord, he is God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Give thanks to him, verse four. Bless his name. You see, when we come into the presence of God, when we come to worship, we are coming to ascribe worth to the only one who is worthy of our worship. Now, this morning, God is a possessive God. You see, true worship is all about God. He is a possessive God. Look what he says in verse 3. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. What does a shepherd do? What does a shepherd do? A shepherd cares for his sheep. Folks in this room, listen to me. We are not self-made men or self-made women. You may be in the business world. You may have said, hey, listen, everything I have is because of my ingenuity, my intellect, my abilities, but it is because of God that you have any of that. And as you draw close, as you draw together, as you open the Bible, you realize it is not about us. It is all about him. You see, God cares for us greater than a mama bear care, a Mama bear cares for her cub. You see, I grew up in North Carolina. We would always go hiking in the mountains. And when you hike in the mountains, one of the cardinal rules is if you ever come across a baby cub, if you come across a bear cub, you never Do anything except back away. Get away, get away quickly. Because somewhere close, if there's a baby cub, there's a mama bear. You don't want any part of that mama bear. Why? Because that mama bear is going to surround and protect and guide and provide in every way. God says, I am a shepherd to my sheep. This morning, I ask you the question, why should we worship why should we worship this morning? And our text tells us, hey, listen, because God is worthy of our worship. He is the creator. He is the one who spun the stars into the sky. He is our sustainer. He is our redeemer. He gives us what we need. He provides salvation for us. He is provider in every way. We are his people. We are made for him. The Lord is, is good. Verse five. We see that the Lord is good. When you come in with a spiritual hunger, you realize God is good. When you go to Five Guys, some of you are already thinking about your food that you have this afternoon. When you go to Five Guys, you walk in, you smell. Some of you like Five Guys, some of you may not. For me, I walk in, I don't want to look at a hamburger. I don't want to smell a hamburger. Looking at it is good. Smelling is better. I want to partake of that hamburger. I want to be a reality that God is good. And when you see Psalm 34, 8, the psalmist says a little earlier, he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Not just simply come and look at it. Don't just come and walk in here and say, hey, I'm going to sit and observe. I am going to participate. I am going to look in such a way that I want to partake of the goodness of the Lord. It is the idea that God can and should be experienced this morning. You see, we have a possessive God. We have a God that is good. We have a God that is love. Verse 5 tells us that God is love, steadfast love. Think about the love of God. It is a merciful, undeserving love. You see, if God is perfect and we are not, we do not deserve the, the love of this God We do not deserve this. It is an unreasonable love. I can't reason with the thought that God loves me, even in spite of my sinfulness. It is an illogical love. I can't make logic make sense because God is holy and I am not. God's love for us doesn't make sense, but it cannot, and it cannot be fully understood. God's love is also faithful. God is faithful, verse 5 says this, it says this, and his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Let me tell you about the God that we come in and we worship. This God does what he says he will do. What does the Bible say that he will do? We see this, that Romans ten thirteen says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God will do what he says he will do. Now, that brings us great comfort this morning. Why? Because many of us walk in this room saying, hey, I got things messed up in my life. God desires to come alongside of each one of us and recognize that he is perfect and we are not, but yet he comes in such a way that he wants to provide a way for you and for me to experience his goodness. And we come and worship because the true God-honoring worship is always God-centered. The second thing I want you to see this morning, true worship Is action-oriented. Verses one through four, we see that there are seven verbs and they're all imperatives. You remember your English? The imperative verb is basically a, a short burst command. Go, do, know. Look at these. They're compound words, they're words that bring in, they enter into the presence of God. You are to have commands associated with them. True worship is something that you participate in, you don't simply observe. Look at these words. Make a joyful noise, verse one. Serve the Lord with gladness, verse two. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Make a joyful noise. Shout, serve, know, come, enter, give, and bless. You see, this idea is that this is always an engaging. It is always an interactive. You don't walk in and simply sit with your arms folded. You come in expecting that the God of the universe desires to meet with you and you with him. There is this communion. Now, how did you walk in this morning? Did you walk in with God as your audience? Did you walk in with this idea that I want to please God? Did you come into this idea that I simply want to participate in the sermon? Or did you say, man, I'm trying to get my check box, box checked off. Think about this. So back to the football analogy in football, you would never be considered a rabid fan if you weren't dressed in some ridiculous looking outfit, hooting, hollering, barking, slobbering on every play. You're not gonna be a rabid fan. I have a 15-year-old son. He is an Arkansas Razorback fan. I'm sorry, that's just the truth. Now, what happens is Dr. Merritt's brother, Rick, every week meets him in the lobby. Come here, Matthew, 15 years old. He walks over to him, You know, he's kinda got that slinking look, he's got that 15-year-old look. He kinda looks and goes, yes, sir? He said, listen here, I'm gonna teach you how to bark. Bark like a dog, I'm gonna, you gotta be a dog. You gotta know how to call the dogs. And my son just looks at him, but Rick Merritt and Dr. Merritt and all the other Merritts are all Georgia football fans. A side note, attending a Georgia game with your pastor is hazardous. It's, it's, it's downright dangerous. I'll be honest. It's life threatening at times. Why? Because he gets so excited, you might get slapped, punched, violently high-fived, bear-hugged, and physically pummeled because he is experiencing the dogs. Let me ask you the question this morning. Did you walk in here with that type of enthusiasm to meet your God and know your God and worship your God and walk out of here to tell others about your God? Because you know what? When we think about who God is, our worship is always to be God-centered. It's to be action-oriented. Charles Spurgeon, one of the most influential pastors of all time, said this. Our happy God should be worshiped by a happy God. So when we think about this, we have enthusiasm. The third thing I want you to see is this. True worship is joy-filled. It's joy-filled. Some people will know me, and if you've known me, you see me, I stand right in the way out there in that door right there. Every Sunday, I'll stand in the way. I just want everybody that can walk past me, I just want to say hello to everybody. People say, Mike, sometimes you just kind of stand and nobody knows you. I'm a cut up. I love people. I love doing ministry. I love having fun. But you know, I want to also have that idea of, I want to be pastoral. I want to be professional. But I want to be joy filled. Let me ask you the question. Do you know Jesus and does it fill your life with joy? Verse one says, shout joyfully, make a joyful noise. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come joyfully singing, verse two. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, there ought to be a smile on your face knowing I serve with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this morning, when you look at true worship, you realize that as Charles Spurgeon said those words, he said our happy God should be worshiped by happy people. You see, this occasion should be a holy and happy occasion as we gather together with people that know that they have been forgiven and they have a home outside of this world. Now, Isaac Watts, you may remember him for the one who wrote Joy to the World. He wrote... When I survey a wondrous cross, he gave his life to leading people to sing and apply spiritual principles to song and congregational singing. In fact, he wrote 750 hymns. This prolific hymn writer said these words, let those refuse to sing that never knew our God. What he was saying, instead of you coming in and singing all these songs, that you don't know the God of the songs. In fact, why don't you just sit there and quietly think through, what are they singing? I want to see the greatness of this God you're singing of. But the flip side of that coin is as powerful as that side, and it is this. If you walk in here and you do know that God, what you are compelled to do is you are too compelled to sing and participate to the highest level. True worship is God-centered. It is action-oriented. True worship is joy-filled. Fourth thing is true worship is life-changing. True worship is life-changing. Go to verse one. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. You see, this is a universal call to worship. It's not just for the people of the psalmist's day, for this five-verse psalm. It is not just for the Israelites, God's chosen people. It is for all of us today. We are to make a joyful noise all the earth. In fact, when we think of this, this is the true worship that we gather here today for. We gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ to point others who do not know Jesus to the one who has given his all that we might have all. And this morning we speak of Jesus. You see, God and he was perfect, and we are not. And because of that, there can never be a relationship because of sin. that severs the relationship. In Genesis chapter three, sin entered the world. It entered the world in Adam and Eve and it came all the way through every person to us. And you see, when you recognize this, you recognize that God desires for us to have a relationship because of sin, there's a problem. And God provided a way for us to have a restored relationship and his name was Jesus. In fact, Paul tells us about Jesus and the fact that he willingly gave his life for each of us. Philippians 2, 8-11 says this. He, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, we gather together for true worship and it is only found in the person of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. You see, he surrendered a perfect life. He lived a perfect life and he died a cruel death for you and for me. Now, this morning, this brings us to the point before we take of the Lord's Supper, it brings us to something that is necessary for all of us to know. The pastor talks about this each week. And I want you to hear clearly the bad news. The bad news is that we are all sinners. We are all far from God. And in fact, all of us, it doesn't matter how you came in, whether you know Jesus or not, we still have a sin nature But you know what? God desires for us to know Him and to have that sin nature taken away. In fact, this weekend, I was just in a grumpy mood. I was irritable. My son, he, I was just being ugly. As you and I all are at times. And this is what my 15-year-old son came up to me. He goes, Dad, just get it all out. Because I know you gotta preach tomorrow. Just get it all out. Just get it all out. Be ugly as you want and just get it out. And you know what? It just reminds us that we are all in the same plight. We all are sinners. That's the bad news. The worst news is this. The worst news is, hey, there's nothing we can do about it. The worst news is, without a relationship with Jesus, it doesn't matter if you walk into these doors, you're just a religious sinner. It doesn't matter if we don't have Jesus and you get baptized, you are a wet sinner. It doesn't matter without Jesus. You give, as Steve led to do in just a moment ago, you give, you are a generous sinner. Perhaps you love your neighbor as yourself and you say, hey, what about that? Without Jesus Christ and giving your life to him, you are a loving sinner. But we don't want to stop with the bad news We don't want to stop with the worst news. There's nothing we can do about it. We simply want to get to the good news. And the good news is that Jesus died on a cruel Roman torture symbol called a cross because he loved you and he loved me. And this morning, I want you believers and non-believers alike, I want you to understand the gravity of what Jesus did for us. You see, think about a wall that has graffiti on it. It is not as if Jesus just painted over the wall and the graffiti is still there. It is not as if that wall gets wet, that, that new coat of paint runs off of it, the graffiti is still there. You see what Jesus did? He came and lived a perfect life. He became a perfect substitute for you and for me. He took your sins upon himself and he said, I will take those sins. In my father's eyes, you are white as snow. When I think of what Jesus did, he didn't just paint over my sins. He took them from me. He loved you that much. He loved you with an everlasting love that endures forever. And his faithfulness extends to all generations. You see, that's the good news. The best news is this. Is that this gift... This gift of Jesus, the son who came to take away your sins. The best news is that Jesus offers this gift completely free. You see this morning, will you receive the gift of Jesus Christ and his death and his substitute for your sins? Will you take that upon yourself and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I want to have your eternal forgiveness and I want to be with you in heaven. This morning, I think of the worthy of worship and I think Jesus and God alone are the only ones worthy of our worship. Why? Because Romans 5, 8 says that God shows us his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So would you bow your heads all across this room? Before we get to taking of the Lord's Supper, it's imperative that we simply do business with the Lord. Has there ever been a time in your life where you have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to come into your heart and to save you? If you have never done that, then I'm gonna ask you simply to say and pray these prayers in your heart quietly to yourself. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm far from you. And I know that our relationship with you, God, has been severed because of my sins. Jesus, I know you came and lived a perfect life. You died a cruel death in order to give me salvation. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Forgive me now and give me hope for eternity. And I claim that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Save me now, Jesus. This morning, if you did that and The Bible says that you have turned from death to life and you now can see Jesus for who he really is and that is the savior of the world. And that is who we worship this morning. And this morning, I want you simply to know that if you have never joined a church, perhaps today is the day. Perhaps on that little card that you You received on the way in, you'll just check that box and say, I want to be a part of a church that week in and week out is going to open the Bible and teach me the Bible. I want to be a part of of a church. I want to get biblically baptized. Maybe you have never been baptized by immersion after salvation. Perhaps today was the day that you said, I accepted Jesus for the very first time. Would you just check off that box on your little card there in the worship guide? And then here's what I want you to do on the way out today. I want you to simply go to one of our connection point tables. I want you to hand that card And I want you to allow them simply to ask you questions, get a record of your visit. They may ask you questions. We'll follow up with you this next week. What you have done and does matters. Now listen, everybody look at me real quick. In just a moment, we're going to conclude this service with the Lord's Supper. And we're gonna conclude our time as with communion, with this idea that we are going to practice what Jesus himself even offered up. And this is a practice, this does not make you saved, it simply is a picture of what Jesus did on our behalf. It identifies us with the very work of God. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 gives us this idea that Jesus, before his betrayal, was sitting with his disciples. And Jesus said, this is a time of remembrance. It's a time to remember the sacrifices, not just of fallen soldiers on Memorial Day. This is a time where you remember, you are to remember what I did for you, that I gave my life, that I had my body broken for you. Literally the flesh ripped from his body. He had a sword placed in his side. He had a crown of thorns. He had nails in his feet and his hands and, and blood went from his body and was shed for me and you. And that's what we celebrate today. It's a time of remembering. It's a time of rejoicing. Why? Because we are the beneficiaries of the blood of Christ and of salvation. It's also a time of repentance and examination. And before you take communion, 1 Corinthians is very clear that we are to self-examine ourselves that we are to confess any unconfessed sins, that we are to come before God and say, God, forgive me of sins known and unknown. So in just a moment, when I invite you to come and get the elements, I'm gonna ask that you just have a moment of quietness and reverence, and just ask the Lord to deal with you on your own personal lives, wherever you may be. And then lastly, this, communion, Lord's Supper is for believers. And if you ask Jesus to come into your heart and your life, I believe that you are a believer. But this morning, if you do not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, this is in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. In fact, if there are any small children in the room, parents, I know it's hard. But we're gonna ask for you to bypass those children. Why? Is because we believe this is a great opportunity for you to teach them about what God has done. We don't want you to leave them out. We don't want you to feel like you have simply hurt their feelings. But we do want this to be a teaching tool. And in fact, I, I can look across this auditorium and I can see a mama who led their child to Christ as a result of a Lord's Supper sermon. Simply because the child said, hey mom, can you tell me about what they're doing and what they did today? yeah, let me tell you about what Jesus did and all you have to do to receive Jesus is confess and repent and ask him to come into your life and he will. So today, would you on your way home, parents, let this be a teaching tool for your children if they do not know the Lord. Congregation, in just a moment, we have eight stations, eight tables around this room. I'm gonna ask you in just a moment, I'm gonna pray. And after I pray, I'm gonna ask you to find the closest table Just walk up to it, grab the elements. If you have young children with you, maybe one of the spouse will go for both of you. But I want you to go in a reverent manner, in a holy manner, quietly and quickly. Grab your elements and go right back to your seat and we'll close very shortly. But when we think about this, Megan and the band are gonna sing these words and I want you to to think about this. She's going to sing nothing but the blood and I want you to listen to these words. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Would you pray with me all across the room? Father, we thank you for this moment. A picture, a vivid picture, a reminder of that our worship is all about you, Father. It is to be participatory. And Father, we participate in your Lord's Supper today, recognizing what you have done on a cross so long ago. Father, it is to be joy-filled. It is to be so that we are joyful in the fact that we have life more abundantly because of what you have done for us. And this morning, God, is this to be life-changing, and I pray that, God, you would teach us in these moments, in the quietness of those moments, that you would be honored in every way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. At this time, I'm going to ask you to just simply stand to your feet quietly and just go to the closest table nearest you, the shortest line, and get the elements. Oh see the elements are provided there's a little wafer on the top and there's the juice underneath it as Jesus met with his disciples he was reminding them of what would take place he knew what was going to take place and he knew that his body would be broken they didn't but today years later we understand what Jesus did 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 24 says this, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. the same time I can just imagine that Jesus knew what was going to take place in a few few hours he would be crucified and he said likewise in the next verse in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant of my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me day it's a Memorial Day we celebrate fallen heroes we pray for those still in harm's way but we worship a Savior we worship a Savior that has shed his blood for us and makes it white as snow would you stand to your feet all over the room just like we've said would you participate one last just an element of this song Would you sing with all of your heart that you know that nothing but the blood? Would you sing with us now?